I've struggled with that tension because I am an achievement goal oriented person. And I'm not saying that as like a humble brag. It's actually something I try to wrestle down because although God is not opposed to achieving and he's not opposed to goals, he is opposed to vain ambition that he actually sets his face against the proud. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. We've got Torn Wells on the podcast today. Torn's a Grammy-nominated recording artist. He's also the lead pastor of the brand new church, Church of Whitestone, in the Austin, Texas suburb of Georgetown. Uh, Torn and I have been friends for years, and this is one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on Dreamers and Disciples, so get ready. But before we get to that, though, I want to make sure you knew that my new book, This Dream Is Not For You, here it is right here if you're watching on YouTube, it's out now, and it's all about how to dream better dreams that are aligned with God's heart for the world and for our lives. And it walks you through a four-step process of how to trust God with the dreams that are in your heart. So the book is out now everywhere that you get books. You can buy it online, you can buy it in stores, but I really encourage you to get a copy and to open your heart to what God wants to speak to you about your dreams. So you can find a link in the description or the show notes. Now, get ready. This is a powerful interview with my friend, Torin Wells. Torin, welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. Way joy! What's <laughs> up, my boy? It's great to see you, man. Man, I have been looking forward to this for a long time. You're one of my favorite people on the planet. Bro. And yeah, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, either you have continued your workout regimen or you're buying smaller shirts, but you over there looking <laughs> slow, bro. What? Come on. So it's the camera angles, man. It's, <laughs> it's all the lighting. Angles. Life is about angles. <laughs> all right. Hey, we were talking about this before we hit record. But this is my chance to publicly thank you because I don't think this podcast would exist in its current form if it wasn't for you. Oh, gosh. Um, and, and so when I first, I remember it was, gosh, it was January of, when did this thing start? Uh, 2022. I was going to say, yeah, two and years I, and ago. I was, <clears throat> and I was praying, you know, I just stepped off staff at Elevation Church. I was praying about God giving me more opportunities to teach. And I started dreaming about this podcast, but I kept talking myself out of it. Mm -hmm. I was like, nobody needs another podcast. <laughs> but one morning I felt like the Lord really convicted me and said, hey, you've been praying about a chance to teach, do this. Yeah. And that same week I was sitting in a restaurant and I get a text from you saying, hey, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? <laughs> and then you connected me with, with Ronnie and Access More and... um the rest is history. So thank you so much for seeing something in me and just helping make connections that brought this whole thing to life. I just want to honor you and thank you for that. Well, you're very gracious to include me <laughs> in that, but uh, this thing was coming into the world one way or the other. Have always just thought the world of you, your spirit, your ability to communicate complicated things clearly and simply and empowering other people. So any chance that I would get to help just add wind to what you're doing uh, is an honor for me. So I love your podcast. I love everything that you post on social media. It's powerful and uh, and so necessary. I feel like your vantage point on particularly gifts and spiritual gifts is so necessary in the body. And maybe that's something we talk about another time, but thank you for being obedient uh, to, to spreading a message that really isn't always so popular or well-received, but is so close to the heart of God and needed. But we honor you, bro. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, we start this podcast, um, since the whole thing is dreamers and disciples, we usually start with the question, what are you dreaming about? And I know you're a dreamer. I know there's always a lot of things you're thinking about and praying about. And we'll get into some of, I'm sure, what that is later on in the conversation. But currently right now, what are you dreaming about, Torin? I am dreaming about a church that is the reflection 
of God's desire for his people. Hmm. Something that is not compartmentalized to a particular time on a particular day of the week, but a church life that flows into every area of our lives and putting the right people in the right places to see their God planted dreams grow and flourish. That's what I'm dreaming about. That's a, that's a good dream. It's a big dream. (laughs) Yes. I think, I think it's a, a needed one and you're not just dreaming about it. I know you're actually like putting action to that dream. Oh yes. Talk a little bit about that. Let people know what what you and Lorna, what your family is embarking on right now. Yes. So we are here in the city of Georgetown, which is a, a town north of Austin. And we are planting a brand new life-giving church called Church of Whitestone in the North Austin area. So we have families that have moved from all over the country, from Florida, Tennessee, Illinois, California, uh, as well as many families who are here locally who have committed to being a part of lifting uh, this dream over this city of a church that helps people discover their God-authored identity through wholehearted relationship with Jesus. So we're in it. We're in the trenches. Uh, We kicked off our announcement of the church in April of this year at a, an event we called Good Friday on the Square. We had over 4,000 people uh, attend wow. that event. And we've been moving into smaller uh, strategic gatherings to get people involved and invested in what we believe God wants to do here. So yeah, the the hope truly is, because I'm a product of this, I'm a I'm a product of the local church. For some reason, I've been criticized for saying this, but I'm going to keep saying it. Jesus saved my soul, but the church saved my life. That is my story and my reality. Um, It was not musical theater or tech club or drama club or student body uh, government that made me aware of my giftings. It was the mechanism of the local church. You know, a choir director who gave me a solo when I wasn't that good. Uh, a music director that let me play drums during an altar call, a youth pastor who let me set up the offering on Wednesday nights. Uh, Those types of opportunities through the local church is where I discovered that my life had potential uh, to make an impact for the glory of God. So we want to bring that same type of possibility uh, to others uh, in this area. I love that. Although it's hard for me to imagine a version of you, no matter how young, that wasn't that good. <laughs> well, <laughs> believe it, bro. <laughs> believe it. <laughs> um, but you preached a message um, when you were at Elevation this past year. I think it was called, I Still Believe in the Church. I Still like Love that. the Church. I still, I still Love the Church. Yep. And... Man, it was so inspiring to me because like there's a lot of criticism right now yeah. directed at the church. And I love when people like you still stand up and say, the church isn't perfect, but the church is God's design. It's God's mission and it's worth fighting for. It's worth investing in and it's changed my life. Yes. And I love how boldly you proclaim that message. Um, as you're planting this church right now and as you're having conversations, are you having to work through people who are like in the city of Austin, people that are jaded about mm-hmm. church, think church doesn't apply? What what are you encountering right now on the ground with people? I think there's a few things. One is there is cultural Christianity like I've never realized where we really have believed that we can be Christian by association Hmm. that because I attend a church six times a year or my parents brought me to church when I was young, that the implications 
on my life and what that what that really means in my everyday life um you know there's so much i think there's so much uh, disillusionment around what it means to actually follow Jesus and so what we're trying to get people to to understand is uh we're not doing doing this because we just want to be doing things and trying to win God's affection through our actions or our commitment. It's actually the opposite. Because of God's affection toward us, we are responding by letting God know you have permission to access every area of my life, Hmm. my family, my gifts, my dreams, my career, uh, my weaknesses, my shortcomings. You, you can have it all. My money, my closet, my garage, like uh, every space, it it all belongs to you. And I don't just want to be Christian by association with Christian things. I want to be Christian by my connection to my Savior. And so that's what we're really trying to, to move people toward. And I think that's the biggest thing that we're running up against. People think they're good because they've just heard about God <laughs> or they, you know, went to Sunday school when they were young and there's so much more that God has for them. There's so much more in store. And so that's that's what we're trying to point people toward. I think as far as how are people feeling about the church, I, the reason why I feel like I have the credibility to say, I still love the church. It's not just, I love the church, which is true. I do love the church, but still implies that there has been a journey that has been traversed and that there is an option to come to a different conclusion about how I feel about the church. But even in the midst of my journey in the church, I still love it. And because, you know, I've shared this with you, you know, our story, you know, we, we have been ostracized by the church. My wife and I had our wedding invitation sent back to us when we invited people in our congregation to our wedding because they didn't agree with a, an interracial marriage. Uh, We've had people hate on us, for choices and decisions that we made and how our following Jesus and our calling looks, uh, whether that's music videos where I'm dancing or spaces that um, I'm called into or people that God has called me to engage with. There have been many, many criticisms and opportunities to be offended that have come that have come through the church And in spite of that, I have learned not to judge the majority who are trying to do it right by the minority who have gotten it wrong. And I think a lot of the mindset that I'm encountering is because people in the church hurt me, I have now stepped away from relationship with God altogether. And that's the, that's the play of the enemy Uh, to get us offended with people and then walk away from God. So what I'm trying to get people to understand is this thing is messy. It's broken. It's imperfect because it involves people like you and people like me. And when we bring all of our imperfections together into this thing called the church, we're going to be bumped. We're going to be bruised. We're going to have opportunities to be offended, but we have to take on the character of the Christ that we claim to follow and say, forgive them for they know not what they do and to continue to move forward and what we know we've been called to do And that's to make room for each other's offenses, to make room for each other's faults, to think the best about people when the first thought would be a lot easier and and to continue to live and operate as the bride of Christ. Man, there's so many uh, things that that I want to go back on with what you just said. And because there's so much just wisdom in that. 
Can you tell me about when one of those times, and you've, you've had several reasons where, like just on the surface level, it would be very reasonable to be offended, yet you moved through that and you chose forgiveness. Yeah. Um, can you talk about one of like a pivotal moment in that and what helped you? Maybe you were tempted to say, you know what? I should walk away from this. Oh but yeah. What what kept you from doing that? Well, I was I was <laughs> I was 25 and on the brink of just being like I don't know about this. This hurts too much. <laughs> you know, this hurts too much when when you walk into a room and and you just think no one likes you. That's hard to keep showing up every week. And you just, you haven't done anything except be yourself. And you think these people don't like me. Uh, that's a big, that's a big obstacle to overcome. And I'll tell you what helped me was my father-in-law. He pulled me in at a critical time when a lot of ministers from my perception were pushing me out. Hmm. And I don't think that we can ever underestimate the power of pulling people close to us because you just don't know what people are walking through, what they're struggling with, uh, what is being said, what perceptions about themselves that may not even be true that they carry. Hmm. And I think what I had allowed to happen was when I started my band, I'll give a little more context so this makes sense. But when I started my band, we were trying to reach the next generation of Christians. So we had traveled in choirs and we traveled in groups and all of that. And, and we loved it, but we thought maybe there's something that's a bit more relevant to our peers and the kids younger than us. And this was, you know, 17 years ago or something. It was a long time ago. So we were like, what if we started a band? And so we started doing this thing and we weren't singing worship music. We were singing songs about like following Jesus into, into different places of life. We were talking about acting on our faith. Um, it was a lot more horizontal and how we were speaking to people. Like, what if we chose action over apathy? Those types of themes. Well, because it wasn't vertical worship music, it was like, well, this is a little worldly. And because it wasn't choir music and it wasn't worship team music, well, this is worldly. And then you add into it, you know, I like to move and dance and all of that. I see that in the scripture. So I'm doing those things and I'm being canceled from events who had asked us to come lead or be a part, do an after party, whatever, because of the dancing. We put out a music video and we're dancing in it and there are girls dancing in it. Not how girls dance in hip hop videos, but like choreographed, I would say very safe uh, entertainment and we were ostracized from that. I would go into a church and we would uh, do our show and then the music director would come up and say, hey, uh, they want you to do one more song, but could you uh, like move less? And I'm like, sure, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it was a constant just criticism of those things. And then you add on the racism thing with you know, marrying Lorna and working through all of that and still showing up at church and going to the front row and worshiping and all of that. It was a really difficult place to be. But because my father-in-law loved me and believed in me and supported the band and paid for gas in the car and got the limo for us when we got nominated for Grammys and all of those things, I felt truly supported. And this is what I learned. People gravitate toward the places they are most loved more than they are best taught. So even if 
the teaching or the philosophy of something isn't accurate, if the person is loved well, they'll drift toward that thing. And so it's put the desire in my heart to create the type of church and culture and space where people aren't just taught well about life, but they're loved well. And if they're going to drift anywhere, they're going to drift further into the church, not away from it. I love the way you just framed that. People drift to where they are loved well, because there's there's a lot of churches that have great doctrine, yep. but are very low on love. Yes. And how good is your doctrine if... <laughs> <laughs> yes. If your doctrine, if your theology does not lead you toward loving God and loving people, perhaps you don't have the theology you think you have. That's a word right there. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the mic, Thorne. I mean, I love, I love everybody, but let's let's look at what mm-hmm. Jesus did. But that's such a powerful example of your father-in-law of how one person's belief can fuel someone else's dream. It doesn't take this massive network to fuel a dream. Sometimes it's just one person. Wow. And I think right now, you know, there are people listening. They're probably thinking, well, I wish somebody would believe in me. I would turn it back on them and say, who can you believe in right now? Whose dream can you fuel? Whose dream can you inspire? And watch how God works through that. That's so good. I'm curious though, like, so that was when you were like 25 and you've been on a long journey since then. And, and by a lot of metrics, you've experienced a lot of success, a lot of impact, a lot of influence. Do you still have those insecurities and those voices of people saying, you can't do this? Do those still have real estate in your mind now? To a certain extent, yes. And I think what I have also learned, and people hate to, to, to grapple with this reality, some of people's criticisms actually holds water. (laughs) They don't all, they don't all have credence, but there's something to be learned through people's critiques. And some of it, you know, is foolishness and it needs to be thrown out. Some of it is like, okay, maybe my actions in this are not that clear. So how do I refine what I, what my intentions are? Because your intentions can be misread. And that has happened to me. That's happened to many people. It happened to Jesus. It happened to John the Baptist, Paul. I mean, everyone who's ever had a platform has had their intentions misread. But I think we have the opportunity if we have a growth mindset and a student mindset to take those critiques and turn them inside out and see, is there something that I can learn from this? And I have learned. I I saw the first time that I preached at Elevation, this kid got on YouTube and like picked my whole sermon apart, called me a heretic and put me in a category with heretical preachers. And I thought, yes, I've arrived. (laughs) Uh, Jesus was called a heretic. We forget that. So, if if I'm listening to him and I'm just like, dude, you're a buffoon. You don't know what you're talking about, which is partially true. Um, some of it I, I throw out. But then I'm also like, what can I learn from this? One way or the other. Maybe I learned to double down on something that I did because he disagreed with it, but that's what I'm called to do. Or... Is there something that he mentioned that I'm like, I actually could do that better. (laughs) I mean, it takes some humility to receive it from someone that, you know, has no equity to speak into your life. But that's what I try to do. I also try to look for the compliment and the criticism Hmm. because a lot of times there is a compliment hidden in the, in the criticism. Um, For instance, when people were critiquing the music, like this is, this sounds like the world. Well, I know it, it doesn't say what the world's saying because I'm talking about Jesus. Like there, there's no conflict there, but what they're saying is the quality 
is so good that it's on par with what we expect from people investing millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into their craft, and we only have a fraction of that. So I look for the compliments sometimes and the criticism, and I use that as positive fuel hmm. opposed to negative fuel because you cannot build your life on a negative. So I try to keep it keep it positive. It's just a, it's such a powerful example of how you can frame any situation positively or negatively. Yep. And and you're choosing to frame your situation saying what can I learn and what can I leverage? So what can I learn? What Good. what can I take away from this and learn about myself, learn about others? And then what can I leverage? Like you said, what can I lean into? What is this actually cuz I like I like that you have the humility to say not every criticism needs to just be brushed off. That takes a lot of maturity to be able to just to get past the momentary and sometimes not just momentary, but extended feelings of just <laughs> insult <laughs> <anger> and frustration. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wanting to fight back, but then just saying, okay, let me push through that and then let me glean what God wants me to glean from that. So yes. I think that's that's a great example for us to follow. Um, as we're talking about feelings and pushing past that, there's something I talk about in my book about pivoting from striving to surrender. Ooh. So striving to make your dreams happen at all cost versus surrendering your dreams no matter the cost. And, wow. and how, for, at least in my life, I have to daily and moment by moment kind of check my heart and pivot. And it's given me language and it's given me handles to pray through. I'm curious, what is it? Because I also feel like sometimes ambition can be vilified in the church when I think actually godly ambition is a very good thing. Yep. So how do you know when you're operating from a striving to make something happen in your own strength versus surrender and godly ambition? Are there any cues that you've noticed about yourself that either help you recognize it or shift back to a healthy posture? I'm curious what that looks like for you. That's a really good question. I love the way that you articulated that whole thing. You need to cut this that whole thing out and you need to post it on Instagram. <laughs> um, man, I think I've struggled with that tension because I am an achievement, goal-oriented person. And I'm not saying that as like a humble brag. It's actually something I try to wrestle down because although God is not opposed to achieving and he's not opposed to goals, uh, he is opposed to vain ambition, that he actually sets his face against the proud. And what are the proud? People who think they can do what they need to do without God. And so one of the things that I'm always trying to just ha make sure I have a grasp on is that I'm not doing things for God. I'm doing things with God. And I don't want to constantly be trying to do things for him. I need to do it for God. I got to do this for God. I got to do this for God. And that really comes from a religious mindset of I got to do it for him, for him, for him, more, for him, more, for him. We're, we're supposed to stay in the vine, connected to the vine, producing fruit that flows from what happens in the vine. So I, I don't do things for God. Like the, the grape isn't produced for the vine. The, grace is, the grape is produced from the vine. So I just got to stay connected to it. And what I do will flow from who God is and what he's doing in my life. And I'll do it with him. The other thing, uh, Dr. Darius Daniels said this. Um, he said, there's a difference between hunger and greed. Uh, you know, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there's nothing wrong with being hungry. He says, hungry is wanting everything God has for you. Greedy is wanting more than what God has for you. So what I'm trying to constantly get my intentions and my motivations wrapped around is, God, is this what you have for me? I only want success heaven can grant and heaven can sustain. So, so give me that, God. Let me flow in that. 
And when I'm, I, I can tell you some specific things when I know I'm making this about me. When I start obsessing over results, I know I'm in strive mode and not surrender. Because the one thing none of us can control are results. We can only control our obedience to what God has called us to do. So if it's writing a song, if it's doing the podcast, if it's preaching the message, it's God, I'm going to be faithful in my preparation and my delivery of this, but the results are in your hands. I'm not going to try to manipulate the results. I'm not going to try to manufacture the results. I'm not even going to obsess over what the results are, whether it's great or small. I'm going to release the results to, to you. And that's, that's the place that I'm constantly fighting to get back to. And I drift out from that. And usually Lorna helps me. You're focused on the wrong things. Let's get back in connected to the vine in the flow with what God wants to do. Yeah. And everything you just said really helps me, even in this season, as I just released a book, how can I learn from the results? Because Uh I do think there are things that I'll have to learn from it and that might even influence decisions that I'm making in the the moment about strategy, Uh but then not obsess about the results. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the fine line we walk of not being consumed or controlled by the results, but being able to hold them and examine them correctly. And so for me, it helps me if I set a limit on how often I'm going to look at something. Uh I'll look at it once a week or in a certain season, once a day, but I'm not going to sit there and refresh, refresh, refresh all day, which I've done (laughs) in the past about different things. Uh Uh, And so I I think that's something that we all have to learn uh, about ourselves and about what we can or can't handle. But but what you said about, yeah, were you going to say something I just want to add something to that. Like, Defining what success is, is so important as you analyze results, because Hmm. if I'm, if my idea of success is a number on a chart, like I could tweak my way out of what I'm called to do to get the result that I want. If my measurement of success is deeper than a chart position. Like what you said with your focus group that you walked through the book with, I would imagine that although we want a number one New York Times bestsellers, but they pick their number ones based on political agenda, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, we, If you derive your joy and fulfillment from leading that group through the book, you're going to be filled with fulfillment and joy. But if it's something so external that you don't necessarily have power over, then you're going to live in a cycle of frustration. A friend of mine just said this to me recently. Don't let anyone promote you out of your calling. And I think sometimes in my uh, ambitiousness, I would promote myself out of something I'm called to do. I would tweak myself out of what I'm called to do um, and reposition myself to be more successful according to someone else's metrics, not mine. And so I think as we talk about analyzing results and stuff, it's really important because you can learn a lot, but what you said I think is key. We can't be defined by them. That's something that I'm going to take away from this conversation. Yeah, I mean, knowing what success is determines what you're actually, the direction you're going. Like, what, where am I actually trying to head with this? And sometimes true success cannot be measured in a moment. It's going, to take, it's going to take months. It's going to take years. And so we can be discouraged wanting that immediate gratification when real success and, and lasting significant fruit takes time. Yes. Um, and I think that's what the whole process of like pivoting from striving to surrender is about is it's, it's an ongoing reframing 
of what I'm working towards, why I'm working towards it, and who it's ultimately for, uh-huh. um, which you so beautifully put that it's an offering to God. It's not an offering to people. We offer it to God and then he uses it in people's yes. lives. Yes. So for you, you've had this dream in your heart to, to plant this church for as long as I've known you. I mean, I remember <laughs> trying to convince you to move to Charlotte. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you're like, nope, I, I've one day I'm going to plant this church. One day I'm going to plant this church. <laughs> Was it difficult um, to not go to Charlotte? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And be my neighbor? Yes. Oh, gosh. I I was ready to go house hunting with you, Tori. Hey, I was in Wade's cul-de-sac picking out, maybe I could build one here. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you had to wait for a long time before you felt like, it was it was the right time to step yeah. into this dream. Can you describe that waiting process and was it difficult? And then what finally showed you and Lorna that now's the time? You know, I, I've never had this thought before and I've just been thinking about it while we've been talking is you got to know when to lay what God is using down and you got to know when to pick it up. And I think about that with Moses, with his staff, some of the miracles happen when he put it down. Some of the miracles happen when he picked it up. When he put it down, it turned into a serpent, terrified Pharaoh. When he stood in front of the Red Sea, he had to lift it up. And I think following Jesus is about knowing when to put what God has placed in your hand down and when to pick it up. And it doesn't mean that God is any less capable of using it, but it's got to be in the right position for it to be used properly. And that's, that is what has been true with this dream of planting the church. There have been times when I've had to put it down and it's been in my heart since I was 20 years old. I'm 37 It's been in my heart all along, you know, like not just like a thought, church names, vision statements, values, people that I would invite to come alongside, cities that we would go, things that we would do and accomplish for God's glory. It's been in my heart this whole time. What God is using is something I didn't expect to parlay into it with music, uh, with using in a metaphorical way, my voice to, to do a different thing, but it's the same tool. And at the time I didn't realize that it was connected. Probably how Moses didn't realize when, when it turned into the serpent that one day it was going to part a red sea. When the door opened, for me to go on tour with Lionel Richie, that was so outside of anything that I had conceived in my mind to be possible. And yet God used it to accelerate me in a space where in my band, I could never break through. And he used a moment, just like you said, to push me to the front in a way. Nothing changed about me. <laughs> I didn't get better. Um, I, my voice didn't change. I didn't start acting differently. The songs weren't different. When I put out my solo stuff, people were like, oh, this sounds like Royal Taylor. It's like, well, yes, I was writing the Royal <laughs> Taylor stuff. So nothing changed, but God used it to, to accelerate something that he wanted to do. And then three years ago, I started feeling a shift in it may be time to pursue the church plant. And so I worked it through my pastoral leaders and didn't just get their take on it. I got their permission for it, their blessing on it, and started working toward that. And now God is using the same thing that he used to accelerate me in Christian music to accelerate us in church planting. I know that God is using 
what he's done through my music to pull great leaders into this team to uh, get people who own other businesses that are pouring into this to be excited about working together. Uh, people ask me about preaching all the time. Like, do you preach a lot? I'm like, not a lot. Like I've preached at Lakewood and elevation. <laughs> this makes no sense. <laughs> like, but it's through a relational equity and God taking something and using it one way for a season and now using it differently in another season. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but I just hope it would encourage people to understand that you have what you need for what God is calling you to do in your life. And if you're willing to use it appropriately in the season that you're in, you will always have what you need for the seasons that you're in. Uh, I just love that. Nothing changed about what was in Moses' hand, but how God used it changed dependent upon what he needed accomplished. So you have what you need. You're fully loaded. Just be willing to lay it down when you need to lay it down and be willing to lift it up when you need to lift it up. If you haven't preached that about picking it up or laying it down, you need to preach that. I haven't. That's, it's pretty amazing. The Bible. (laughs) Yeah. It's just the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) But I think so often in my life, I, I'm afraid to release my grip and lay something down because I don't know who I am without it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We building a sermon right now. That's <laughs> point number two. <laughs> We're going to tag team teach Go this. ahead. Go ahead, <clears throat> Pastor Wade. Teach us. No, but I mean, that was my journey that I wrestled with because for years I thought I was just a worship leader. I was just a singer. I was just a songwriter. And I limited who God had actually created me to be because I was defining myself by this one skill uh-huh. that I had. Uh-huh. And I think part of the process of discipleship and following Jesus is being willing. It's it's what he says about taking up our cross and following him. And when he talks about um, a seed doesn't produce fruit until it dies, That's and you it. actually plant it in the soil, all of that, to take up your cross, you have to release whatever else you're holding. Uh-huh. And I think that's the process of trust that God wants to take us in of, of saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to put this dream in your hands. I'm going to put this talent in your hands. I'm going to put this gift in your hands. And the Lord may want to use that in your life in the future. He may want to use it in your life right now. And you can either force using it uh-huh. and have a life of exhaustion and striving and chasing, or you can trust him. And I think go on an adventure and a journey that brings so much more fulfillment because we try to limit what God is going to do in our life through the one thing we can see now, the one thing we can imagine now. Uh And I think what you're passionate about, what I'm passionate about is, and there's so much more God has for you. There's so much more God wants to do for you if you just trust him and lay down what you need to lay down, pick up what you need to pick up, but do it at the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So all that, you just got me fired up. Too, no, so. that's so good. And, you know, people often say this, like people often can't see you beyond how they met you. So if if you met me through being a music artist, I could pass her for the next 50 years. And in your mind, I'll never be a preacher. I'll, I'll be a songwriter. That That's fine. Uh, the thing is, I think we do it to ourselves. I think early on what gets celebrated gets repeated. So you may have a proclivity towards something early on that you do well. And then that's all that you see yourself as not knowing that just because it showed up first doesn't mean that's all that's there. So, and that's been my thing with, 
with singing. It's It showed up first for me. I have a lot of insecurity around public speaking, but I know that I'm called to preach. So at a certain point, I've had to intentionally move beyond the comfort of who I knew myself to be first for who God called me to be most. And I want to be everything that God has called me to be. So I'm not going to hide behind what I'm most comfortable in or what I've identified with early or the thing that got celebrated as a nine-year-old when God was just using that to point me toward the fact that I have gifts that he's given me to bring back to him and to serve the body. So maybe some of us need to reintroduce ourselves to ourselves. Hmm. It's a new season and it's a new me. Uh, It's a new season and it's a new confidence. It's a new season and it's a new dependence on the power of God in me to do what I feel like I am incapable of doing. And that I think could be liberating for people. Maybe you need to reintroduce yourself to you. Yeah, because I think I have labeled myself more than other people have labeled me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And and those labels, I mean... A lot of times, most labels tend to stick and it's hard to let go of them. Um, But I think the ones that I put on myself are the ones that are hardest for me to let go of. Uh You see, Um, y'all see what he did with labels tend to stick? Did did, (laughs) did you see that? See, (laughs) y'all don't sleep on weight, Joy, y'all. Labels tend to stick. If you said that in a black church, Wade... That with the right emphasis, that place would come unglued. The thing with labels is they tend to stick. <laughs> See, you're giving me confidence right now, Tori. Oh, it's not it's not flattery. It's real. That is fire. Well, maybe there's some people shouting on the other end of this podcast they're right better, now. They're probably I'll, laughing I'll, at me. Just being an idiot, but <laughs> it's really good. What you're saying is really good. Y'all need to go get this book. I know this is your podcast, uh, Wade, <laughs> <laughs> but go get Wade's book. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. And if you're anywhere in the Austin area, go to Torrance Church. Come on, Church of Whitestone. Church of Whitestone. <laughs> well, man, this has been this has been a joy just just talking to you, and I feel like I could keep this going for a very long time. Because I feel like everything you say has so much depth to it. Likewise. Um, Is there any last thing that you want to just speak over the people listening about anything we've spoken about that you want to just go a little bit deeper on or even something that we haven't gotten to that you just want to make sure that you say that's on your spirit right now? Yeah, I would just say there's a you you haven't met yet. I know that way we've both been inspired by Pastor Stephen's ministry. Inspired is probably an understatement. <laughs> right. Um, but I have listened to a message you preached at the beginning of the year, do the new you, uh, over and over and over. Like, I'm not a morning person. Well, maybe you haven't been a morning person, but this season of your life requires you to be. You know, how about instead of you doing you, you do the new you? We actually had our whole staff watch it because... Yeah. And this is where it translates for me. We are all stepping into a season and I'm talking very specifically about myself and my team. We are stepping into a season where we are becoming something we've never been. My worship pastors, never been a worship pastor. Kids pastor, never been a kids pastor. Me, never been a pastor. Never been a youth pastor. Um, My wife, never been a pastor's wife. My kids, never been PKs. Um, all of us are stepping into spaces of things we've never been before. But I'm encouraging our team, guys, there's a you you haven't met yet. So don't hesitate. I was just watching uh, some of these uh, races that are going on right now, track and and field and things like that. And, um, uh, Shakari Richardson, she's been uh, a polarizing figure in the sports world for the last few years, but uh, she's 
the world champion sprinter right now. And I just watched a video of them and they got into the blocks and the intense focus on that signal to start is tangible. They get in those blocks, they stand up and they are waiting for the moment they have permission to run. And as soon as that trigger gets pulled, they don't even hesitate. They go. And that has been one of the common themes that I've been reminding myself of. And I would like to remind the listeners today, God has called the new you, a you you haven't met yet, into a new season And he's telling you to go, to do it, to start, to lead, to serve, to give, to forgive. And you cannot hesitate because if you hesitate, you lose. But if you'll just run, you'll win. And that's what Paul said. He likened it unto a sprinter. He said, let us run the race that is set before us. So run, don't hesitate to step into who God has created you to be in this season. Throw off the old things, the old ways, the old mindsets, the labels that stick, that say, you'll never do this. You'll never become that. I can't do that. I'm not really this type of person. That's not my personality. Take those labels off and replace them with the you you haven't met yet. The person that shows up early, the person that gives more, the person that listens more than they talk, and be the the new version that God needs you to be in this season of your life. If you live this way, you won't live with regrets. If you live this way, you won't be asking in 20, 30, 40 years, man, why didn't I just... Why didn't I take that leap? Why didn't I take that chance? Why didn't I lay that down for the prospect of something greater that God was calling me to? Don't hesitate. There is a you you haven't met yet. Don't settle for Polaroids of yourself. God has you in motion pictures. So you're moving. It's dynamic. It's progressive. Don't get stuck where you're at. God's got something new for you to do. Well, that was a word for me. I uh, I know it's a word for a lot of people, but that definitely was for me as well. So thank you. I can't wait to just go back and listen to this and take notes and hear it all again. Me <laughs> too. So, I'm going to so fast good. forward my parts and repeat yours. <laughs> well, Torin, I love you. We're praying for you. We're cheering you on. And it's just been a joy having you on the podcast today. Thanks. Thank you so much, Wade. Love you too, man. Thanks for joining us today. You can learn more about Torin and how to follow his ministry and his church at the links in the show notes and the description. You can also support the podcast by liking and subscribing, and then share this episode with somebody that you can encourage. How can you fan the flame of someone else's dream just by sharing a podcast episode that might fuel their faith? Now I'll see you back here next week for more Dreamers and Disciples. Mm